I think term limits was the most wrongheaded, ill-advised vote that any citizen could have made. That has been the clear defining moment between a legislature that was far more proficient in the policy areas that they chose to focus in and on. Now people come in and they hardly find their way. and They really are masters of no specific policy area. Welcome back, everybody, to Cabot Talks. This is Brian Cabotek, the former president of the Consumer Attorneys of California, former president of the L.A. County Bar, among other things, and been actively involved in politics most of my adult life, which my brother thinks is a very short period of time because he's not sure I'm completely an adult yet. And I am joined, of course, by my brother and sidekick, John Cabotek. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Great to be here. I'm John Cabotek. I'm the president of Cabotek Strategies, but also the California State Director of the National Federation of Independent Business, representing small business owners. Great to be here. I am the kinder, gentler Cabotek and definitely sexier, but I think mom loves us about equally, Brian. No, she loves you more, but that's okay. okay. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that's that is true. It is yeah. true. That is that one is one where we will not get any. I don't know if she loves you as much anymore. Why do you say that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh. Yeah, you're in Sacramento. I'm I'm in I'm in Pasadena. She's in Glendale. <laughs> that's that's that cinches it. We're great great to be here and great to have a very special guest with us, Assembly Member, former Assembly Member Mike Roos, great California leader and a great friend friend of Brian and me. Mike, <laughs> what what was your your district when you were in the Assembly? Basically, it was the what I dubbed in the Wall Street Journal picked up the Ellis Island of Los Angeles from basically Flower Street or Figueroa all the way out to Western and Griffith Park at the north and Santa Monica Freeway at the south. Oh, that's interesting. So you had Koreatown, you had Filipino Town, you had MacArthur Park with the second highest number of gays. You had 98 different languages spoken in that small geographic area. Yeah. Fun fact, the song MacArthur Park was actually written about MacArthur Park. Was it really? Yes. The great Jimmy Webb. But made famous by the actor who recorded it. What was it? Richard Harris, right? Richard Harris. Richard Harris. Yeah, not bad, huh? Not at all, Brian. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for being here. Well, and you certainly are correct in being a great friend to both of you. No better friendship can one have. Uh, Very kind. So, John, why don't you tell all of our listeners a little bit about Mike's background, if you don't mind? That would be an honor. Yes. Well, like I said, Brian and I are honored to welcome a very good friend to the Brothers Cabotech, former Assemblyman, longtime California leader, Mike Roos. Mike is currently the founder, chief consultant of Mike Roos & Company, which is a, a prominent public affairs company in California, which was founded in 1999. He's also been the president of the Southern California Leadership Group, a consortium that consists of all of the living California governors and business and community leaders that are dedicated to creating better policy that move California forward to prosperity. He has quite the background, but I'll be brief, but try to get as much in here. Mike served previously as president and CEO of LEARN, which was a coalition LA area leaders that were dedicated to reforming and restructuring the LA Unified School District. Before that, we all know, and many of us recall, him serving in the California State Assembly from 1977 to 1991. 
His district, he was telling us, serves the downtown L.A. area through Griffith Park to Koreatown to Santa Monica. Wow. He MacArthur was, Park. MacArthur Park. Let's not forget MacArthur Park. And he was also elected during his time there to serve as majority floor leader and then later as Speaker Pro Tem. If the name Bruce rings a bell to many of you, there's a good reason. Some of Mike's landmark legislative achievements include the Roberti Roos Weapons Control Act of 89, of 1989, banning assault weapons, and the Mellow Roos Community Families Act of 1982, which provides local governments with alternative methods of financing basic but much-needed facilities. He's been involved in all kinds of things politically and legislatively. He's been involved in ballot measures that address early childhood education and development and housing and homelessness. And then before he was in the legislature, he was chief deputy to the L.A. area council member and executive director of the Coro Foundation, a leadership training program. And he was Jimmy Carter's state director for his 1980 presidential campaign. He's a native of Memphis. He attended Tulane University in New Orleans, where he played baseball, batter up. And then he moved to California to accept a fellowship at USC, fight on, graduating with a master's in public administration. He lives in Los Angeles and has four, count them, four daughters. You're amazing, Mike Roos, and welcome to Cabot Talks. Great. I can't tell you what an honor and how anticipatory I've been in looking forward to this moment. Thanks, guys, for the invite. So, Mike, since our, our show really focuses on California politics and California leaders, how did you get interested in and involved in politics in general and then generally and then specifically, how did you how did you become run for assembly, become elected official and, and all of those things? I think, you know, people would be interested in just knowing a little of the background. Yeah, very happy to. I never really saw myself as a political guy. I saw myself as highly interested in government affairs and public policy. And that was really born out of my experience in growing up in the South, which truly was apartheid, violent, terrifically, terrifically segregated. And it made no sense to me. It never did make any sense to me about how one human can be so cruel and indifferent at best to another human being and their, their state of, of condition. In any event, I was really provoked, influenced by the civil rights movement that began to rage, you know, around 1963-64. And it really changed my whole direction in terms of what interested me. And so that's why I, rather than get a law degree, even though that would have been just as durable and handy, I went to a school of public administration. I saw myself, hopefully at my best, at being just a great staff person to an elected official. But it really was civil rights and growing up in the South that influenced my direction. So how did you then go to come to run for public office? Well, just lucky. And, you know, I always get, I'm always somewhat amused because I'm sure Brian and John, you've heard so many people say, well, you know, I've been urged by a legion of people to run for this office. No one ever urged me. No one ever said, this is a great idea. It all came from within. And what happened was actually a terrific irony. Coro Foundation had really put me in the position of knowing where the money and those people who were interested in politics and government were in the city of LA. And so 
the Carter campaign was very important to me from the standpoint of here was a Southerner that I felt felt the same way I felt about basic things and immediately supported him and was just a foot soldier volunteer in 76. And so in 1977, upon inauguration, he happens to have appointed the person who held the seat of assemblyman in the 46th Assembly District to be the chairman for his Council on Environmental Quality, Charlie Warren. So the seat immediately became vacant. A special election was called. And I said, this is my moment. I said that to myself or in, <laughs> in the mirror and uh, to a variety of friends and, and family, of course. But that was it. It was also, ha- it happened to be the moment for 15 other people. And I was lucky enough to prevail. It's so interesting because Chris Holden, who's a good friend, and I'm sure you know well, we were having lunch one day and we were talking about how interesting it was that uh, Kamala had become the senator because Barbara decided not to run and then because she became senator and then ultimately became vice president. The seat opened up and then Alex Padilla took the seat and then that opened up and then Shirley Weber stepped in, you know, and and, and he explained it to me as what he referred to as suddenly. In politics, suddenly, suddenly something becomes open, suddenly an opportunity comes along, suddenly. And it really is so much of that. I mean, if if Carter had been reelected in 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 1980, you probably would have had a completely different path. You might have been appointed to something in D.C. You could have ended up in D.C. You could have ended up in a cabinet position. Who knows what would have happened? But that's just sort of politics. I think we all have stories like that and have seen that happen to people both good and bad ways in the concept of suddenly. It's just so interesting to me. Well, it's interesting to me too. And it's interesting because my mentor, Jess Unruh, the legendary speaker and the creator of the full-time legislature in California, once said to me, he said, it's it's really a crazy business. He said, it's like like knowing where you want to go and you're at the bus stop and the bus comes and it's going exactly where you want to go but you don't have the right change. Then another bus comes along. It's not even close to where you want to go, but you have the right change to get on the bus. And he said, so it goes. And finally, the right bus going to where you want to go and you have the right change comes along. But again, you never know when, where, or how. Hey, Mike, speaking of change, and maybe in a different context, but you know, what's changed the most under the Capitol Dome, other than the fact that I know they're completely reconstructing the Capitol as, as the, at the time of this podcast? But not is just that sort of a joke? It is a joke. Okay. Brian. Hold it. I want to let the laughter die down. Oh, in, Brian. In, in California politics, since the days of Jess Unruh. Yeah. Well, clearly, the one significant and I think disastrous policy change, constitutional change made possible by the good people of this state of California voting collectively and in a majority was term limits. I think term limits was the most wrongheaded, ill-advised vote that any citizen could have made, and we can go into that. But that has been the clear defining moment between a legislature that was far more proficient in the policy areas that they 
chose to focus in and on. Now people come in and they hardly find their way. and They may be chairman of the health committee one, one term, and then banking and finance opens up and they want to be chairman of banking and finance. And so they really are masters of no specific policy area. It's almost like rotating through the chairs. And once again, I think that policy and vision for the state of California suffered immensely. It is one issue where your average ordinary person, regardless of almost their party affiliation or their or their political point of view, they look at the and it's so easy without any knowledge of what happens in Sacramento or in government in, in general to say term limit sounds like just a great idea. It sounds great. You know, they they should move people out. It should be it should be open to everybody. And it takes so much longer to explain to people why it's a bad idea. You know, it, it, it's just something that strikes people as such a good idea. And of course, anybody who's been around, and I don't know what your position is on it, John, but my position's always been, it's a terrible idea. And, and especially when it was three terms in the assembly. I mean, six years, the first two years, they're trying to find out where the bathroom's located, you know, and then yeah. by the time they finally figure everything out, they're looking for their next job. It was kind of funny though, Mike, I know you work closely with a number of the former governors, including Pete Wilson, who was my boss at one time. And I'll never forget, you know, Pete Wilson, I think in 1990 is when Prop 140, the term limits uh, law, right. the ballot measure was enacted by the voters. But I remember in his final three or four months when he was doing his swan song speeches, he would say Prop 140 sounded like a, a great idea at the time as he was looking at the end of his second term. But yeah, it's, I don't think it's, it's panned out the way a lot of people felt it would. Well, no, maybe the it, executive with two terms is, is okay. But yeah, the, the, but the assembly and the Senate. Yeah. Well, Brian. And Mike, can we ask you what, uh, flip that coin uh, let, over. Go ahead. Let me just say one. Yeah, I want to say one thing about you because you are such a distinguished lawyer. I would love to see you put your head to how we could get that to the Supreme Court because that's the only way in which it's really going to change. But I think you will appreciate what I always was bewildered by, and you triggered it when you said, I think it's fine for us to limit the executive. Absolutely. He's the executive for the entire state. But I always question, after term limits passed, how can the people in San Francisco tell the people in Los Angeles how many years they can have their representative? And that always went to the foundation of why I thought the Supreme Court really defaulted in its responsibility when it upheld term limits when it came before them. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's an unfortunate bad situation. I do think now, at least with the, with the 12 years, it's better because they can stay yeah. longer and they can establish themselves more. But again, you're taking away, let's use Chris Holden as a perfect example. He's in his last term, right? He's well-loved in the district. He's does good for the district. He's the chair of appropriations now. And here is somebody who, and I'm a, I'm a constituent and here's somebody that the constituents would like to see remain there because of the cloud he has and the position he has and what a good he's able to do for the district. But it's not up to us anymore because in 20, you know, in 24 months, he's gone. Yep. Yeah. And not only that, the one, it, like, this put, is not, the, this, it's not a straight line change. The fact is, is that term limits over time, and now it's been 30 years, 
it also changes the culture. And you can never get that back. The culture was one where people well, would get would people would get elected, they would learn from their betters, they would see that the whole institution revolved around their becoming expert in a specific subject matter area. No, and so that culture is now gone. People who are elected, it doesn't matter that they have 12 years. They are conditioned to rely on staff, on lobbyists, and frankly, on the executive. We used to stand up to the executive. We used to post veto overrides on the board in order to get the governor's attention. You never see any of that anymore. Well, and one last point for this for me is using my Chris Holden example again, is that in, in two years, I'm going to have a brand new inexperienced representative might be a perfectly good person, but a brand new person and somebody in the next district or somebody in San Francisco is going to have someone who's been there for eight years, who has the clout because they've been there for eight years. And I've just been deprived of the representative who's got, you know, the, the juice because they've been there for a long time and they're, they're in a position of importance to protect their constituents. Anyway, I don't want to completely dwell on this, but it's an interesting subject. You know, let's talk a little bit about the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, Mike. I mean, you have been doing a great job these past year. I know we've been working in FIB and a lot of other groups to try and gather the business groups together more effectively, efficiently to unite around, you know, those issues. But, you know, we, we, we look at both of our parties. Brian and I, one of the things Brian and I can often agree upon is that we sometimes get frustrated with our own party or the party we've worked with. Let's talk about the Democratic Party for a minute, though. You know, you, you've earned a reputation as a good moderate Democrat over the years, and you've worked across the aisle. And, you know, what's your read on the Democratic Party today, especially coming out of this November you know, elections? Is, has the far left been winning these hearts and these minds from the center are, are they a dying breed? Where are you seeing the Democratic Party now, and, and where is it headed, Mike? Well, first of all, I see the Democratic Party is, is extremely vulnerable. The Republican Party has been so bad under the imagery created by Donald Trump that that has advantaged, in my opinion, a protective shield, if you will, around the constant movement, I think, in the wrong direction for the country and for our state. So if the Republicans are able to get their selves together, particularly in our state, wean themselves, you know, from the, the, the nutty dimension of, of the Trump presidency, I think that they're on the right side. I think Republican philosophy is more on the right side of where most Californians want to be than Democrats. But again, I think there's been an interesting protective shield because of the ineptitude of the Republican Party. But I think the Democratic Party is very, very vulnerable in terms of being far more progressive in many areas that do not create wealth and opportunity for the underclass or even the middle class. And that is problematic. Yeah. And before we even get into that, I think that also the Democratic Party has been lulled into a sense of false security thinking that, you know, much like I think all of my employees love me, I think the the Democratic Party thinks that they're getting the votes because people love the Democratic Party. It's because they're getting a number of votes because people don't like Donald Trump. Therefore, they're not voting for the Republican on the on the ballot. In my opinion, I think that's that's a false sense of security that the Democrats have have secured. Completely agree with you. 
completely. It, it, it really is. It, but let's let's somewhat, talk about this. I was just going to say it's somewhat reminiscent. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Of, well, of the Democratic fortune when Nixon had to resign. We had a couple of terms where we couldn't lose because people were so disappointed, disgusted with Nixon and nailing every Republican on the ballot with Nixon. Yeah. And anybody but a Republican, anybody right. but a Republican. That was the, right. that was that. And, and that's a little bit of what happens today. But I do think, you know, I, I, John brought up a good point here, which is the far left side of the Democratic Party. I personally, you know, I've always been a left of center guy. I always, I personally think I can't even relate to these people. I can't even relate to their, some of the stuff that they do and some of the stuff that they try to advance. And I'm not alone. I think there's plenty of people that think that way. And I, I think it's, you know, highly dangerous for the, the mainstream Democratic Party to kind of embrace that, that way of thinking. Well, again, no, no disagreement at all, Brian. Well, they used to joke, Mike, you know, we could fit as many Republicans in the legislature into a phone booth. I no, have to no. explain that to my staff, what a phone booth yeah, is. Yeah, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's you could fit the number of registered Republicans in California in a phone booth. That's, right. Now that's the truth. That's pretty much it. Is the two-party system even relevant here anymore, given what we've talked about, Mike? In your opinion, what do the Republicans even need to do to kind of get back on track, get a pulse here, get frustrated well, not... as much as anybody else? Yeah. The two-party system, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question, John, mainly because what you're seeing is a dominant, super dominant Democratic Party that's almost it really looks like a parliamentary system. You have the Latino caucus, you have the mod caucus, you have the progressive caucus. And basically, once you're able to fit together pieces for a coalition of 41 or 54 votes. You know, you have you have your policy movement. I think what Republicans need to do is once again develop a bench, if that's possible under term limits, and statewide office. I thought Lonnie Chin was a perfect, a perfect candidate for the creation of a new Republican Party, and and he lost, and he lost, but uh, because as I understand it, yeah. there just was not a lot of money you know, from typical Republican sources to fund adequately his campaign. But anyway, I get off track. Republicans, in my opinion, have terrific baseline issues. They've always been for education. They've always been for smaller government. They've always been for lower taxes. They've always been for a vibrant jobs, business economy. Those are the issues that California needs right now as it sees Young people not being able to buy a home, moving to Texas, Florida, Nevada, whatever your taste happens to be. You see that in the last 10 years, we've developed more low-income jobs than any place in the country, and we have declined appreciably in terms of high-skill jobs in our state. So the conditions are ripe. It's whether they can pivot and really get back to the basic philosophy they used to keep them extraordinarily competitive. You know, we were talking about the issues a little bit. You are a very policy smart guy. I mean, you're looking at the issues right now. You look, we're looking at a new class of legislators. What, I think 37 new newbies yep. coming in, in in January of 2023. What are some of these issues, in your opinion? You've, you've 
said, been there, done that. What do you what are you thinking as you're looking at the issues ahead here, Mike, that are going to be the pivotal ones that they really need to jump into head first or California, lest California lose its luster or even its pulse? Well, clearly housing. I mean, housing is not only probably the most critical for retaining for retaining the next generation of brains and, and ability in our state and attracting brains and ability from out of state. But secondly, it's such a huge driver of the economy in terms of all of the people and, and reverberations that it creates throughout the economy. So that's number one. But let me tell you that my experience is right now, if I were a Republican, I would do as Chad Mays so effectively did which is you've got you've to be a member of your caucus on the one hand, but I would build, build, build relationships with Democrats in order to get something done that is reflective of my philosophy and my party. Otherwise, you're just going to be extinguished by that supermajority in both houses. Yeah, I, th- I think, too, you, you have to think about distancing yourself. If I were for the legislature today, I would be doing everything I could to distance myself from what I think is the biggest mistake the Republicans make, which is the social issues. And it's not even California driven, it's national driven. The Roe issue, you know, the, the abortion issue, things like that, the gay marriage issue. People in California aren't with that part of the Republican Party. But Mike's absolutely right. You've got people, the Republican has some core issues, you know, reasonable taxes, good protection for businesses that they're trying to, you know, provide that are that are reasonable, that aren't, you know, crazy, things like that they want. The other thing, though, is how do you deal with the fact that we do have all these low paying jobs in California? How do you deal with the fact that a family of four trying to get by on $75,000 a year total income in Los Angeles itself is virtually impossible. I don't know how people survive. How do you deal with those issues? Well, I think first and foremost, we have we have the most wonderful system of community colleges that are perfectly suited for, again, inviting low-wage, low-skill people to basically within two years be able to bootstrap themselves usually into a good paying job. I mean, do you know what a lift operator at the harbors make? They're bringing down $150,000 a year in, in most cases. I mean, that's an incredible, incredible Don't thing. Don't tell some of the lawyers uh, that work for me that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep it between us. Yeah, but <laughs> what I'm saying is there are great jobs in California. When you look at, you know, biotech and all of the things that are incubated here, those are great opportunities in terms of linking people up uh, with those jobs. But again, the linkage seems to be broken or more or less survival of the fittest, as opposed to any kind of systemic identification and channeling into these places for people that really are have a tough life day to day. Let's talk about Governor Newsom for a moment, if we could. You know, what's your take? Is how's he been doing so far? If you could, if you could grade him, you don't have to, but if you could grade him, what would that be? Or at least how, how do you feel he's been doing so far? Well, I like him very much personally, and, and we have somewhat of a personal relationship. 
But I do believe that he has chosen a pathway that is determinative in terms of California somehow being responsible for solving all the GHG problems for the world. And that has been a terrific cost in terms of driving up the cost of housing, uh, in terms of limiting the mobility of people who need a place to live at a lesser cost than what we pay, but they have to drive long distances to get to work. They're, they're being terrifically penalized. He wrote a paper when he was lieutenant governor, an economic development plan for California. For the life of me, I don't understand why he doesn't dust it off and implement three or four of the sections of that paper. They were brilliant. But what again, were the three did, or four sections that are? Well, just you know, looking at regional strengths, looking at where robust industries exist and nurturing them. In other words, really doing a great inventory and assessment of California's economic strengths, obviously the movie business, technology, education per se. We, ha we have a lot of great strengths. Our ports, et cetera, it's, it really was capitalizing on what we know is an indigenous strength and basically investing in the expansion of those strengths. Does he run for president? Is there a scenario you can see where he runs for president? Well, first of all, there has to be a vacancy. And right now, the incumbent, whether he's going to run again or not, smartly says, I'm, I'm, I'm running. So he can't do anything until there's a vacancy. And secondly, in terms of his policy, I think he could win easily New York, and I think he could win California and maybe Oregon. And other than that, I don't know what the other 47 states think of him. Because again, he's done nothing that yeah. would be attractive to that's the my, middle of the country. That's my working theory, too. I've, I, in fact, I just told John that, that today. I said that, you know, as attractive as he is, both physically and, and for our politics, I just can't see those 10 pivot, those 10 key states voting for Gavin Newsom. I, I, I think it's, you know, it's fatal. I think he probably wouldn't, you know, wouldn't launch as a result of that. Yeah. As, as long as crime and homelessness continue to persist here, and those are albatrosses around his neck, whether he accept, should get all of the blame for that or not, there's still persistent problems in this state. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, those are two problems that just need to get addressed. Well, they certainly do. Uh, they issues. certainly do, and and again, that's taken a negative and trying to just neutralize it. I am saying I don't think he has much of a storyline in terms of business and economic development. You can point to again technology at the incubator stage, and we continue to create a lot of new ideas. But it seems that once they get close to maturity, they're out of our state. That speaks volumes about. Again, the the warmth that people feel once they've made it. Mike, can we ask you a question? I mean, obviously, we we're talking a little bit about not just Mellow Roos, but Roberti Roos, the assault weapons ban. And I mean, there's not probably a week that goes by that none of that any of us read an article, see an article about some sort of unfortunate shooting. A lot was done back with Roberti Roos, of course, but as you're looking at it today and you keenly understand, you know, public safety issues, you understand gun ownership, and what, what else could be done? Where could California or the nation really set the tone here? What, what else can be done 
to, to, to address this. This is just a, a persistent problem. Well, I think I, before Mike answers that question, I think a lot can be done, Sean. The problem is there's certain fractions in this country, including the United States Supreme Court, who just think that any control of weapons is illegal, is wrong, is morally wrong, whatever you want to say. And until people start getting behind the notion that it's not okay to kill children in schools, you're going to continue to have this problem. Anyway, I'm sorry, he just triggered something with that, Mike. Bad choice of words, I guess. No, well, no, but but he triggers something with me. And and like you, Brian, and you probably, John, poured over the Second Amendment. And I guess my new response is, here's what we ought to do. What we ought to do is follow the instruction of the Second Amendment. In other words, if you want to have a weapon of war, you need to train with an organized militia militia in your community, and that will give you the right to have that weapon, only it'll be kept in an armory until you report for duty, and after duty, you check it back into the armory. But that's the way in which you can have an assault weapon. I'm not for Hmm. taking away a pistol or a shotgun, which, by the way, everyone who is an aficionado of weapons and using them as self-defense always say, If you're really worried about somebody breaking into your house, buy a shotgun, get some scatter pellets. The gun makes a lot of noise, which will scare the hell out of anybody. And also you can't miss. It's going to, something's going to hit the intruder. And so for the life of me, I've never understood really why we ever let these bleed into our society in such a way that people now consider it normal. Mm -hmm. Come on. I'm with John. I'm with Brian. It's insanity. Just consider this, John. Next time you come down to Los Angeles and you want to stay with us, if you hear a shotgun, that might be an indication. <laughs> well, Brian, you said you might occasionally use a pellet gun to shoot coyotes that are crawling up your embankment. Uh, but, uh, that's an exception. Yeah. I know. As long as. The, yeah. I get it. As long I as the it. coyotes are named John. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thanks. Don't worry. <laughs> How? <laughs> hey, Mike, what's uh, what are you passionate about these days? What's 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 driving you these days? And and what are you what are you feeling, you know, sort of the most interested in? Always interested I mean, California was such a game changer. for It was a watershed in the true sense of the word. I never knew a life like I've had in California. And it's incontemplatable to me that I would have had anything approximating that if I would have stayed in Tennessee or Louisiana. It's just the most wonderful place in every way. It's people, it's diversity, it's climate, it's beauty, it's expanse, on and on and on I could go. And so I get excited about in my last years of continually trying to work with other people to see if we can't make it better. And in some sense, not only make it better, but to recapture what the attraction was for all three of us. Well, Mike, you've been great going through these questions with us today and talking about these important issues. We just have a few quick questions to ask you, kind of fun, so that our our listeners, all 11 of them, can uh, kind of get to know you better. So if you don't mind, we're going to jump into that. I think we have 12 or 13. I I think we just checked the lines and we have a couple more that added on. So we're yeah, good. Okay. We're good. Let's get going. Mike, your favorite holiday comfort food? Oh, eggnog and Christmas cookies and eggnog. Favorite movie? 
anything with Redford and Newman. And since there were only two, it's going to be Butch Cassidy and the Sting. First concert that you ever attended. You'll never believe it. Herman's Hermits. <laughs> I know who that is. Good stuff. I'm, gl I'm glad somebody does. What do you miss I mean, most about New Orleans? Uh, was it's it? A, didn't they? Didn't they record Henry the Eighth? Henry the Eighth was Henry, exactly about Henry the Eighth. No, Isn't that a Herman Hermits Cup? I'm Henry right. the Eighth. I am. Wow, I am. you you got good for you, Brian. Yeah. I am. Yep. Okay, mom will mom will love you more. What do you miss uh, most about New Orleans? I just see the craziness of it. The the capture the day because there may be no tomorrow. It's it's just the most unusual city in the United States. Favorite baseball player given the ah, background. Willie Mays. Say hey. Born on my birthday. I did not really? know that. We are, yeah. The say hey kid. I, we're we're two. May Sixers, I, yes. I Peas in a pod, that. parallel lives. Okay, so that's oh, a good it. question. That's a good question for Mike. What famous person was born on your birthday, Mike? I have no idea, but it was probably one of the most seminal events in the history of humankind. I was born on August 6, 1945. <laughs> August 6, 1945, oh. Hiroshima. In fact, I had a... I was had born a, on August 15th. I was born on August 15th, 1961, but August 15th is the day that the Japanese surrendered. That's correct. But I had not and only the, day, the date. And the day I, I the was. Date. I knew I liked Mike. We're only nine days apart. That's right. Yeah. And on and on the That's day on the day I was born, apparently Brian keeps telling me that was the day he surrendered. surrendered to my parents. <laughs> day my life my life irrevocably changed. That's yeah. for sure. I love you, brother. Mike, any place you could travel in the world? Now that the world is opening up, where where would you like to travel that you have never been to before? Well, that's a different question than that. I've never been before. I've been to some, but I've or, been to or Africa re or return or return. Yeah, yeah, maybe Antarctica. Yeah, it's great. I've been there. It's wonderful. I'll tell you about that's, it sometime. It was that's what time. I hear. Mike, you've been a great guest. Anything, anything you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I would like to share individual experiences with each of you and just tell the listeners that you Cabotex are the real deal. I've never met two finer people who are in very different approaches to life professionally but who come together as one in terms of your integrity, the quality of your friendship, the quality of your thinking, and more than that, what I look for in any citizen, the fact that you care and that you're involved. I love it. Well, thank you, Mike. You've been a great guest. Thank very you very nice. much for being with us. We appreciate it very much. John? I think we, uh, we'd love to have some eggnog with you next time we see you. And and Mike, I'm, we just thank you so much for being with us in those kind yeah. words. Well, I will tell you, I, I, I was flattered by the invitation. Thank well, we, you. we wish you a happy new year and all of our <laughs> listeners the same and looking forward to having you back again soon. I look okay, forward I to out. it. Yep. Thank you, See Mike. You soon, that was John. great. Thanks, Brian. Thank you very much. That was a lot of fun. I, yep. I'll hey, see you at the Cal Club it. soon, Mike. Thanks, Mike. So. I'll see you soon. Next thank year. You happy New Year. Thanks for listening to Cabot Talks. If you liked what you heard, Give us a positive review, a thumbs up, a high five, whatever. Leave a comment, share, and subscribe. We're two brothers, two opinions, one California. Capitalks.